Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Retainer firefighters are beginning strike action next week. We hear why. Will Ireland join any EU or NATO-led mission to protect underground cables? Leah Bradker hints that we will. We haven't at this stage decided to join any um, NATO Partnership for Peace programme on this or any PESCO programme on it, um, but we will certainly consider that. We'll give it um, deep consideration. And US President Joe Biden takes a tumble on stage at a public event, sparking a media storm in the States tonight. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Next week, thousands of retainer firefighters will begin a round of strike action with claims that the fire service in this country is slowly imploding from the inside out. On Tuesday, there will be no drills carried out. A week later, on June 13th, there will be 50% closures. On June 20th, if the dispute isn't resolved, there will be an all-out strike. Well, today in the Dáil, Minister Dara O'Brien said he's confident that the dispute can be resolved. So how did we get this far? And what will it mean for people needing services over June? Well, joining me to discuss this is Sinn Féin TD John Brady, Senator Patrick Casey from Fianna Fáil, Stephen McFadden, a former retained firefighter and the chairman of the National Retained Firefighters Association, and Michael who is on the SIPDU National Negotiating Committee. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Uh, well, let's hear from the front line first on this. Uh, Stephen, most firefighters are retained firefighters, retainer firefighters. Can you explain, um, because that's what, that's what your job was for mm -hmm. many years, explain <clears throat> what it is you do and I suppose how you're different to the full-time firefighters that are out there? Okay. Um, the retained firefighter works on a pager system, so it also is paged mm. on a, through an alerter. And then they have five minutes, then they turn up and be mobilised to a call. So they have... Now, to be a retained firefighter, you must live and work within 2.5 kilometres of your station. So you have your on-call 24-7 for a minimum of 48 weeks of any one year. Yeah, that, that idea of, <clears throat> of being, that terms and conditions within the job, of being mm. within, living within, or always being within two and a half kilometres of your station, yeah. it reminds me a little bit of the lockdown when we were given all these rules about you know, how far we could go or how far we couldn't, as the case may be. Yeah. How does that impact on your life, given that it isn't a full-time job? Well, it's only a full-time job that demands, demands 168 hours per week, you know. Um, it affects your everyday life um, in relation to you have no spontaneity in your life. Everything has to be organised and booked previously. There is... Uh, 
<coughs> there's a serious issue out there at the minute with recruitment and retention. The, there's the difference in a full-time firefighter and a retained firefighter, Claire. The full-time firefighter can live wherever he wants. So we can, anywhere at all, as long as he's there to start his shift, or him or her, is there to start their shift in the morning and they end up. They can live anywhere they want. Um, they know when they're on, they know when they're off. So they do, and they have a work-life balance. The retained firefighter doesn't have that. The retained firefighter is there constantly, as I say, he's on call for 168 hours of every week. 24-7? For 48 weeks minimum of every year. Okay, and for that, for that duty, mm. what are you paid? You're paid what they call a retainer. Now, for somebody starting off, now the retainer is about €8,500 per annum. And then you're paid a call-out fee after that. So you are for every call that you attend. Now, the average call-out nationally is probably about 100 calls, maybe 114 calls per annum per station, you know, which would give firefighters in the region of about €20,000, €25,000. The difficulty that the firefighter has is that the only monies that he's guaranteed is his retainer. So therefore, if you go looking for a mortgage or a loan of any type, well, you're going to get refused. They'll see that bottom line of €8,000, which is equivalent of about €700 Euro per month. Yeah. So your chances of availing of a mortgage yeah. or any of those things are really come under, under pressure. Yeah. Um, and is that why you've seen the big fall-off in the number of, of, of firefighters in the job? Well, I suppose to be fair, Claire, like the, the retained fire service was established post-World War II. Now, give credit where credit's due, facilities, appliances, equipment, training is all top standard. It definitely is. But the way the service is delivered has not changed in all that time. You know, um, as I say, the composite agreement was the last proper negotiations that we had with government, which is 1999. Mm -hmm. That's almost 25 years old. Then we had the Farrell Grant Sports Sparks Report, which was um, commissioned by Minister Noel Dempsey at the time, back in the millennium. It cost a serious amount of money, so it did back then. But that's almost quarter of a century ago. Nothing has changed. And nothing done. Nothing so it's come to this point, and Michael, to bring you in here, um, it's come to this point, and you were at the negotiating table trying to get a good deal for your members. And just to, to clarify on the retained firefighters and the job they do, they account for two out of every three um, mm. firefighters in this country. Isn't that yeah, right? That's so right, yes. the, the majority are, in fact, on this 24 7, um, 48 um, week job. Um, at a cost of €8,000 per annum, or pay, a pay, payout of €8,000 per annum. So you're choosing to strike. How is that strike going to impact on, on call-outs, on the services that people, if, if people are in an emergency, um, they, they, they call you guys? Is that going to be impacted now over the coming, over the coming weeks? Over, well, obviously we don't want to be in this situation where industrial action is, is required, but obviously with the inaction of government at our negotiating table, we're at this point. But we... We have tried, they have come so far, but ultimately when it came down to uh, the reasons behind it, it was the fact that uh, the Department of uh, Public Expenditure and Reform said there was no money. But within the report that was commissioned by the Minister, Darrow Breen, um, it was one of the recommendations was that pay and conditions would be, would be dealt with, with within our negotiations. And with all due respect, um, certain <coughs> conditions and issues of discussion were brought and were feasible. And we definitely thought that we could continue on and uh, maybe address them. But obviously when it came to the pay, it was just a no. 
So there was no point in continuing negotiations at that stage. Now, obviously, previously to uh, our negotiations, we had um, a ballot um, on the chance that if negotiations did break down, that we would have some mechanism to try and, and move things forward. So we, we did our ballot and we agreed on industrial action and including, up to including strike action. So on next Tuesday, the 7th, we're starting our industrial action mm. where we won't engage with the, the, the radio systems that we have that contact our control centres. We're going to do it by mobile phone. We still will be calling or we still be answering uh, emergency calls. We will still be paged okay. and that will continue for, for one week. But we're likely to see then a closure of all of, of, of all stations come June 13th. June 13th, what we're doing 50 is 50 percent, 50 percent of all stations and all out on and the 20th. All, out on the 20th. Mm -hmm. all right. Uh, I want to come to you on this, Pat Casey. Um, when you hear that, um, that means 2000 retained firefighters are potentially off the job come June 20th, just 19 days from now. What's the government planning on doing to stop this? Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge the role firefighters and the retained firefighters play within all our communities. And like John and myself and Wicklow, all our stations are, are staffed with retained fire services. And I equally have had to call on the fire service in my own business, so I understand and respect the job mm. that they do. It also must be acknowledged that Darrow O'Brien initiated this report back in May 2021. Okay. He was under no obligation to do it, but he initiated the report. When the report became available in December 2022, he published the full report and made it available for consultation. And I think over there was a thousand submissions made during that process. Then in fairness, he, he, the government said they agreed with the report. And, and now the report, just to clarify, the report that. did highlight issues, in, issues including pay. Yes. Yet a pay overhaul is not on the cards. Well, well it, if we go through the process, and the process ended up where we are today, a number, I think, and everybody will agree that the process was working. They have ironed out a, a lot of issues some in issues, relation to that. But what about that key issue of pay? Like, well, the key think, issue of pay... Do you think that's an adequate um, sum, €8,000 per year? No, no, I, I think the issue of pay will have to be dealt with. And the Minister said this in the Dáil today, through the public process and through building momentum. And we've all seen <coughs> negotiations in previous years where it has to have, wait for that. Although, is this that, a little bit problematic? I don't know, to bring... Like, this is, seems like, as a particular role, it's an outlier. It doesn't fall into... We don't see other frontline workers with this particular, you know, as you say, sort of archaic system um, of payment and being on call and living 2.5 kilometres. It's the nature of, of the job, of course. Yeah, but, the, 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 but the particular unusual nature, I suppose, of this role that these firefighters yeah, and have... It is a very unusual role. Would you not agree that it may account for a different form of negotiation? Negotiating to get them what they want? Well, I think the negotiation platform was set out initially in, in January. And, and in fairness to SIPTU, they requested Mr. Alton Courtney to actually to actually well, engage <coughs> with the process. And and it has, if it if that's the finite thing is the pay, the minister clearly said today that that will be resolved, but it have to resolve through public to pay process and building momentum. And there's not, an, there's not a mechanism a, yeah. outside of that I, I to deal with that. I just want to let Michael respond to that. we were entrusted to go in and negotiate for a whole new model, a model, not just the current structure. We were, we were abandoning the current structure. We were getting a new model. We should have negotiated a new model 
what we are happy with. And then we should have went to deeper and asked them for the money then after the fact. Not to be told in the middle of negotiations, you can negotiate away, but you're getting no money. That's not acceptable. That's not good enough. Well, okay. I think nobody's saying you're not getting any money. What they're saying are, is that so you can't we get told. the money we at the moment. I want to bring John Brady in on this. You know, you heard there um, from Pat saying, Minister O'Brien saying he's confident this can be resolved. But how? Well, look, I mean, we're in a situation because of uh, government failure, not just this government, but consecutive governments going back over many decades 2005, for example, I was just elected to a, the council in Bray at the time. Uh, the firefighters in the, the fire station in Bray was uh, let out um, on a walkout by the then sub-officer uh, Brian Murray mm -hmm. um, because of serious failures within the, the retained service, including uh, recruitment and, and retention. And he said that day that someone is going to die unless these serious failures are dealt with. Less than two years later, Brian and his colleague Marco Shotnessy died because of those very same failures that he was trying to highlight uh, two years previously. Here we are in a situation, and we're being told now by, by Pat that, you know, Dara O'Brien was under no obligation to do this, what he has done. Absolute rubbish. The Chief Fire Officers Association said previously, a couple of years previously, that the current model for the retained fire service is simply not fit for purpose. We're dealing with a structure that was put in place in the 40s and 1950s <laughs> and trying to, trying to make work in the 21st century. So, you know, the government have failed firefighters and they're continuing to fail. Sinn Féin moved a motion um, on the retained fire service in the Dáil last November. We were told at that stage okay. that the government were serious about this, they were bringing forward this report, and here we are now with the recommendations, John, the 13 can, key recommendations... And there and are the recommendations on pay and a whole change, um, um, or, or certainly to look at pay or, or addressing those concerns. Um, but I want to ask you then, like, is there, is there within that, do you accept that what, you know, what we have heard from, from Dara O'Brien saying you know, firefighters have been offered more structured time off an increase in staff numbers of 20%, and he wanted to make it more attractive to recruit firefighters. Well, look, I mean, words are cheap, ultimately. What we need to see is, is, is government being serious about this, you know, that one department, one minister is, is, you know, playing against the other, that, you know, the negotiations broke down because of the constraints put on the LGMA, who are negotiating on behalf of the government. Um, uh, constraints were put on them, by deeper in terms of addressing the core issue of, of you know, finance, pay, which is, is the key point here that nobody anywhere would, you know, step up and do the work that retained firefighters are doing on call 24-7, nearly 365 days of the year, um, and the constraints that are being put on them, the pressures for, you know, eight and a half thousand euro yeah, a year. And, and just to bring you back in here, um, on this, Stephen, um, given what Darrell Bryan has saying, that real progress is being made, he's addressed some of those issues that you're talking about. He wants to make it a more attractive um, place to work and keep firefighters in the system. They're so badly needed um, here. You know, what would you say to that? Do you think there is progress? You can keep talking and that you, you could get to a point that you'll see the light and you'll be able to do some sort of deal that will keep people happy. Well, Claire, our association has approached Darrow Bean on a number of occasions to come and meet with us. We are, the, the NRFA is the biggest stakeholder other than the LGMA within the retained fire service. And we have asked repeatedly for meetings with Darrow Bean to try and avoid the situation that's arising here now at the minute. But we have got no response at all. Okay, so he hasn't met with you yet? No, he hasn't met with the firefighters as such. 
Okay. <coughs> now, so, recently, because these talks, just to clarify, they are being done um, through the LGA, uh, LGMA, the Local no. Government Management mm. Agency. We did request a statement from them um, and we, we tried to get reach out to them today to get that statement. We did not, in fact. Mm. But that's where the negotiations lie with them and not directly with the Minister. Is that correct? Well, we use SUP2. In fairness, as our trade union, they're our spokespeople, um, under the guidance of Karen O'Loughlin. And we have made it very clear from day one here, like, in fairness to John, John brought a motion to government back in November 2015 when we held a march that day as well. You know, this is going to take communication. You can't fix a service of that age. Like, this is a national crisis. Make no mistake about it. We have at the minute now, if you look, in Bray, where Brian Murray lost his life, there's actually less firefighters now in Bray tonight than there was back then when that dreadful thing happened. Shannon International Airport at the minute has no fire cover, basically, despite the best efforts of Clare County Council, okay. fire service management. And can I ask you then, Michael, what has that meant if there are fewer, um, you know, frontline firefighting staff? But, you know, how have you seen that play out? What have been the consequences? The consequences are that, obviously, if you don't have enough crews to cover a particular station, you have to alert another station which is nearby. So you're removing that station from their area. And the knock-on effect is, at some stage, some area is going to be without a fire service. And when you ring up and look for the fire, fire service to attend an emergency, you'll be told when the nearest fire brigade is two hours away. I suppose the fear is, maybe for people watching tonight, is that this strike action will mean that's going to be a reality on June 20th. It, it's a reality because... it'll be an all-out strike. It, it'll be an all-out strike, but it's, it's a first for firefighters. We've, we feel, personally I'm disappointed, but more so we're disrespected. That's what the problem we have. You know? See, I think the bottom line here is... I just want to bring Pat yeah, in here. I, I think the, the, you know, just, you know um, Michael making the point that this is a first. They've never done this before. It is a really big step um, for those at the front line, it, it, you know, in such an important position in, in saving lives to, to, to make it, it, this move. It is, um, and, and I and accept they feel that, and I appreciate that. But in relation to when it, when it comes to this process, we've spoken already tonight about the decades of reform that was needed in relation to the retained fire service. The minister has initiated that process. That process only went public in December. We are now only in June. Significant negotiations have already taken place okay. and agreements have already been, been made in relation to the negotiations. And we are stuck on a number of, Does that of issues in pay? relation... Does that stall, though, at the issue of pay, which is the, the key issue, it appears, well, I think there's a, for the retained pay firefighters? Pay is, is a key issue, but there was significantly a number of, an awful lot of additional issues that were key issues that have been addressed. Pat, how do you expect been, to, to attract I, I, people I, I, into a service I, I, if the, 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 the package is not there? Like I, any I, other job in the state, it's a, we're state, we work for the state, and other uh, employees are treated better to get minimum wages, to get minimum time off. They fall I'm underneath. Not... At every juncture, we're being challenged. <coughs> we're being challenged, which is not good I enough. Think, listen, I'm not arguing with anything no. you're saying. Let, let's be clear about this. And also from Darrell O'Brien's point of view, in fairness to his commitment to the fire service prior to him being in government and being in government, I think you honestly have a friend within the department. But he has been advised that he cannot 
negotiate. Look, unfortunately, Claire, I mean, firefighters have seen all this before. Sorry, John. If, if we go back to the Farrow Grandsparks report, Sorry, John. Point there, John. I'll bring you back in. He didn't. Dara has been advised that he cannot interfere in the public pay process and building momentum, and the negotiations cannot happen outside of that. But we must acknowledge okay. agreement and work has been done to try and transform the retained fire service. OK, briefly, John, um, the Minister's hands are tied, basically, in, is, is what we are hearing well, from the government. Look, I mean, we have a massive surplus, a budgetary surplus this year, next year. So funding is, is, is not an issue here. It's a commitment to bring the retained service into uh, the 21st century and make it a fit-for-purpose service. Unfortunately, the you know consistent approach from governments. We heard about the Farrell Grant Spark report back in 2002, where you know a Fianna Fáil government you know initiated that process. There was huge recommendations in it. Virtually zero of those were implemented. You're saying, so John, we, in we this have, instance, we have a, stand, a standalone deal is required. A standalone deal for, deal for retail firefighters, and we need to stop government playing Russian roulette with not just the lives and safety of firefighters, but also members of, of the public. OK, listen, I want, want to move on briefly just to other news um, that we heard today. And the Taoiseach has said that Ireland could get involved in some EU or NATO missions to keep underground sea cables safe. Many of those cables are in our territorial waters. And here is what Leo Varadkar had to say. We haven't at this stage decided to join any um, NATO Partnership for Peace programme on this or any PESCO programme on it, um, but we will certainly consider that. We'll give it um, deep consideration uh, because, you know, we are an island nation. Um, our seas are seven times greater than our land area and going through those seas are a lot of really important uh, infrastructure, communications, cables that connect Ireland to the world and Europe to North America uh, and also, for example, our gas interconnector um, with the UK and our electricity interconnectors with both the UK and the new one uh, with France. So um, I don't think we can protect these on our own. I don't think we can protect these on, on our own, says Leo Varadkar. EU and NATO may be asked to defend our underseas cables. Uh, would you agree with that, given our neutral stance, Pat? Well, I think uh, about the Taoiseach and the Tarnish to have issued notes that saying we need to have a conversation here, and the conversation needs to start in relation to security, whether it's gas interconnector, electrical interconnector, or all the data cables that are, are filtering around the coast of Ireland. We've got to remember mm. that the, the mass of sea compared to the thing is seven times our, our land mass. So you have no issue and, with and that. No, just just no, given, no, no. given I, our I neutrality and given, you know, we have, I, I there, are other, there are other countries in Europe, Austria, Malta, who also take a similar neutral stance and they're not part of PESCO and you know, they're not necessarily calling on the EU and, and NATO to help monitor waters. What, what they're saying, is that it's time for that conversation. They're saying, can we act alone or should we act in partnership with others like we are currently doing? And that's the, that's the debate. The debate mm. is starting now in relation to our neutrality. Nobody's saying we're dropping our neutrality. We are saying we are an island country and we are isolated. We have seven times the sea mass compared to land. We have critical infrastructure now. Only two weeks ago we announced the O-Res for okay. off the East Coast, which is <laughs> three gigawatts of power. That has to be protected. Right. So it, it, it's huge assets are now based at the base of the sea and that does need to be protected. Uh, big assets, assets, they need monitoring um, and we need help in doing that in the form of well, look, EU we, we, and we, we, we need a, a government that's serious about our own responsibilities here in the first instance, that we're, we're either neutral or, or we're not. 
Pat talks about a, a conversation starting. Yes, I mean, uh, the Tánaiste has announced this consultative forum. Is which Sinn Féin is, OK with that? No, look, I mean, I, I think a citizens' assembly is the preferred route. Um. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. You know, absolutely, we're, we're up for conversation. But what we're seeing here again is more kite-flying in terms of the outcome which government want. And, and that's us to abandon our, our, our neutrality. what's Sinn Féin's view on that, on this marine defence scheme that would involve, you know, well, look, the it, EU and further, NATO? Yeah. You know, it's and, it, 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 it's further erosion of our, our, our neutrality. We would be totally opposed to it. We're dealing with a situation here where our own defence forces, who are responsible primarily for you know looking after our, our, our security at sea on land, where we have two of our, our ships, two of our six ships, mothballed because we don't okay. have the personnel. We're below 8,000 right. members of, of the Defence Force, where the establishment okay. figure is 9,500. So we need to see government invest in neutrality, invest, invest in our uh, Defence Forces, and invest, and, invest, and invest in the, uh, the Commission right. report, which okay. lays we'll out have... a whole series of, of measures the government need to take. We'll have to leave that there. My thanks uh, to the panel and for bringing us up to date um, on that firefighter strike. Uh, we will keep over that story. Uh, but coming up next, US President takes a tumble. Joe Biden falls at a graduation ceremony. That's one of the stories that got us talking this week. It just happened today. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. It's been another busy week in the news. Let's take a look at the stories that caught our eye. I'm joined by journalist Jen Hogan, uh, journalist Michael O'Regan, and motoring editor at the Sunday Independent, uh, Geraldine Herbert. You're all very welcome along uh, to the programme tonight. I want to get to the story that's really making waves um, stateside um, and, and a video that's gone viral, and that's a presidential trip. Uh, Joe Biden falling during an Air Force Academy, Academy, Academy ceremony in Colorado. He tripped over a sandbag, what appears to have been a sandbag. And um, there you can see him being aided 
um, back up. He's pointing over to the sandbags. But Republicans already very much seizing on this, Michael. Um, uh, they've already questioned his age, you know, following his announcement, of course, that he's going to run for the White House again. And this is, you know, absolute a joy for them to see this, notwithstanding, actually, that's quite distressing to see anyone fall yeah. in those circumstances. Yeah. And he is an 80-year-old man, after all. This is very bad luck for him. I mean, it's, it's come at the worst possible time uh, when his age has become a factor. Now, he seems to just slipped over a sandbag. Could be anyone. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, if you're 80 and you want a second term as American president, then things like that can't happen. It's, it's what the Americans would call uh, the visuals, not good. Uh, but, uh, or the optics, as one of Ronald Reagan's people said in Ballyporeen many years ago, we need good optics. But I, I, um, I think he showed that he was a man of considerable energy when he was in Ireland. He had a fairly hectic schedule, mm. and he, you know, he, he, he met a lot of people, he gave speeches, uh, he delayed at various things to meet people. And there was no evidence at all uh, during the Irish visit that uh, his age was a handicap. Yeah, and funny enough, because we were I was speaking about that at the time, and all eyes were looking from, from the US on that Irish trip to see, you know, would there be slip-ups? How would he fare? I mean, we actually got a physical slip-up tonight, but you would just wonder how this will play right into the hands um, of the Republicans, Chair. Yeah, I mean, of course it will. But look, if we were all filmed and put under the spotlight 24-7, we'd all do silly things. And I, if somebody put a standbag beside where I, you know, was giving a speech for a 30 or 40 minutes, whatever, and then walked away, would mm. I remember it? I probably would have fallen as well. So I think, look, it's very easy to collect all of this stuff and, and paint him as somebody who's getting doddery or whatever. And of course they're going to use this. But I think particularly what Michael said, when he was over here, he showed huge energy and mm. um, very much on the ball, knew exactly what he was doing, was very focused. And, you know, I mean, look... You know, unfortunately, it'll be the negative things that they'll promote and not those sort of aspects of his trip or his, you know, his, his usual Yeah, look, conduct. let's face it, we've all had those moments and they're usually among the most embarrassing things that can happen yeah. when you, yeah. you, you know, you make that big fall and you hope that nobody saw, unfortunately for Joe Biden, the whole world saw yeah. this one. Um, I just want to move on to stories um, back at home because um, there's an awful lot in the news that gives us really... Um, a sign of how we're living now, uh, the stresses and strains that we're under. And first off today was this report out by uh, Eurofound, finding no surprises really that the number of adult children living at home, mm. Jen, is on the rise. It was 22% yeah. of adult children were living at home in 2010. Uh, that went up to 28% in 2019. And you would think given that we are four years on mm -hmm. from that now and the housing crisis we are in, that it has risen considerably uh, since. Are you fully expecting that to happen in your own house? I reckon so, yeah. I mean, I, when I was looking at that, I know that's still underneath the, um, the European block average. So obviously that's, it's not just a problem mm -hmm. unique to Ireland. But at the same time, like you said, when we look at the housing crisis and we look at how difficult it is for young people to, to afford rent or buy a house is just the dream at this stage. You can see how it'll continue to happen. But I think another thing that'll probably contribute to, to it too, even in terms of how we live now, you know, um, things like kids starting school that little bit later and finishing a little bit later as a result. We have such a high, a high proportion of the population go on to third level. So they're at home that little bit longer and therefore getting started in the workforce a little bit later. And if you've got a housing market that's already running away from you, it looks like you'll, be, you'll have people living at home for a lot longer.
Yeah, but the interesting thing about it, Michael, is, you know, we're also looking at um, all the figures that were out this week with regarding unemployment it's at its lowest um, rate on record. A lot of those adult children living at home are probably working, but they can't afford anywhere to live. This is the contradiction in Irish society and the contradiction in the economy. The economy booming by any objective terms. Uh, unemployment, you know, uh, non, uh, practically non-existent. Uh, plenty of jobs, and yet people can't do, uh, young people can't do a very basic thing like rent a flat or aspire to buy a house, uh, which is shocking. And I think if the government spent less time praising themselves about the, uh, you know, uh, how good the economy was going and focused even more on housing uh, and the health services as well, but certainly housing in terms of young people, uh, I, I think they might be doing a much, you know, uh, better day's work. When you, when you get this good economic news, the, the Taoiseach and the ministers are rushing out to meet the media. Uh, and, and of course, the, the economy as well. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the corporation tax based on a few companies, so it's fragile enough. But it's quite astonishing that at a time of huge economic growth, people can't afford a flat or aspire to buy a house. And just um, to bring us on to uh, the census within that, because that really laid bare, you know, where we're at and how the average age in Ireland, Ger, is now 38.8. That has gone up in the last, quite a bit in the last few years. But in planning ahead, what we heard from the chair of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council um, today, that's the government's fiscal watchdog, of course, was saying older workers now should face sharp tax increases to fund their retirements. We're getting older and how are we going to pay for it? Yeah, I, I found this an extraordinary statement because we've always had this idea that we all pay for pensions. You know, and you, you pay all your life and then you benefit, you know, when you retire or whatever. So this idea that somehow we'll put the burden on the people most, the nearest the time to retire. I, I think, though, I mean, look, it, it's clear from the census that the population has grown much faster than any planning has been done for. So therefore, we do need to look at whether it's raising the pension age or whether it is, you know, raising the funds through taxation. But I think it's going to be a very brave government that comes up with a system or a solution that will actually please most people. If you look at France and the problems when Macron tried to raise uh, the... the um, the pension age there. And it's because deeply entrenched in French culture is this idea that, that life starts when you retire. And it, they have this almost contract with the state where they do their work, but mm-hmm. then their life begins. And I think there's a lot to be said that there's, a, a, you know, generations that have grown up and have worked and have given their service in Ireland who believe that true as well. So I do think, yes, it's something we need to address through, a various, through various different ways, but you'd need to, you know, we need to be very careful on how we do it. Yeah, well, I suppose the big, you know, dilemma there is if you're not taxing older workers, you're going to end up hitting the younger workforce the that comes after them. who can't afford to buy a house and who can't afford to rent already. And you're going after the people who are already struggling just to have the sort of things mm-hmm. that most, of, most people aspire to. So I suppose that's, a, that's the really difficult... Like, when you look at the number of people that we'll have working for every um, person or working for every person who's retired, it's going to fall from four down to two. Like, we are going to have to look at doing something and it's going to be really unpleasant. I mean, the idea of taxing somebody as they're as they're getting closer to, to retirement age isn't going to be popular with anybody, but neither is the idea of putting heavier burdens of tax on people as they come through. And that's what they'll have to do, put it on, on a smaller number of people, more tax and taxing fewer people. Um, do you think, even though, you know, it is a tricky one for, for the government to manage, but Michael, do you think older people would say, 
you know, fair enough, I don't want my kids carrying this burden or will it very much come down to I'm, you know, heading towards my golden years and there's no way you're going to hit me with a big tax bill towards that? Yeah, I, I think they look at their kids and they will have sympathy, but this is potentially socially divisive. And if you think of how the over 70s reacted when their medical cards were being taken from them at the time of the economic crash, uh, there's the potential there for some kind of social uh, uh, reaction that wouldn't be very pleasant for the government. You see, people, older people will probably say, look, I've paid my taxes. I've, I've done my dues. I've, uh, you know, perhaps grown up at a time when uh, the economy certainly wouldn't be anything like now. And while there's sympathy, no doubt for young people, mm -hmm. uh, I think they'll blame the government of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's no way for the government to win really on this one, notwithstanding like the good news stories that we're seeing about the unemployment levels and all of that. I think people feel like, well, we're not living in that reality yeah. because we can't no. afford, it, we can't afford in this yeah. cost of living crisis, it, we are still struggling, even though the economy looks so good. Yeah. We're not feeling that. that the sense it wouldn't there. be the first time that uh, something recommended by the fiscal watchdog was conveniently forgotten about and allowed gather dust yeah. in the government department, I think. That tends to happen. Let, let them say it, but we'll see, will it actually, uh, will it actually come to pass? Uh, I want to talk about something else within the census. Maybe not a surprise, but on the issue of religion, there's few of us, fewer of us calling, uh, calling ourselves Catholic. We are becoming a more diverse country. Uh, what do you take from it, Chair? Yeah, I don't think there was any great surprise in that. What I thought was interesting, though, was the, um, I think it's 10% it's the reduction is, but actually when you compare the figures who said they were Catholic in 2016 and look at the figures for 2022, the decline was actually only 5%. So I, I do wonder, you know, and I, I also wonder about the way the question was asked. Apparently in 2016, it was asked, what was your religion? And the first option was Roman Catholics. And then in 2022, it was, what is your religion, if any? Mm -hmm. And then the first option was no religion. And I do think there's a whole, you know, research body out there of how you structure surveys and how you nudge people in certain directions. So that is I, interesting. Yeah, I would wonder how much... It's, it's a pity, really, the same question wasn't asked in the two senses and then you could make a proper comparison because I do wonder very about that um, in, in terms of did that actually influence how people answer the question. And I do think it also were quite selective about you know, we kind of pick and choose being a Catholic these days as opposed to we may have ticked the box of not um, religious, but at the same time we might subscribe to certain aspects of mm. Catholicism. So I wonder about how secular we really are becoming. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly we're seeing it in, 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 in you know, diversity. And there are, there are changes that we're seeing in the way that the demand yeah. is growing for, you know, schools without a religious ethos, for Educate Together and all of that. But the demand is certainly there it's that there. we see it play out. Do you think we're likely to see that big shift away, though, from where you see the majority of schools being, being Catholic run? And we haven't seen much of a change in that, we... uh, despite this sort of evolution mm. moving us away from being that Catholic country. But if you look at, like, I mean, it's still nearly 70%. It's still probably a higher figure than maybe a lot of us thought. I know like, it's, it's a different figure, obviously, and 10% and in theory down on, on the previous census, but it's still 70%. So you kind of wonder, we're hearing lots of people calling for religion to be taken out of school, to make, to make that move away, to change, you know, change the structure of our schools so that we don't have so many Catholic schools. But is, is there maybe more of an appetite potentially there than, than we realise? Because if you look at times like 
communions and confirmations. And we still have quite large participation in that versus the number who opt out. So a bit like Jer was saying, maybe there's the selective parts that we still, that as a whole, maybe Irish society hasn't moved away from. They still want to take, pick and choose parts of it. And maybe that's what makes it more difficult I, to I, move away. I think in real terms, it's lower than 69%. If, if you want... If, 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 if you want to include people who subscribe fully to the Roman Catholic ethos, it's much lower than or 69%. Lower. It's fully, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people, I think, uh, would just put down, because they grew up as Roman Catholics, they put down Roman Catholic. They've been baptised. Yeah, they would click it as it. default. Uh, yeah. Do they attend Mass every Sunday? Do they subscribe to the Catholic Church's view on divorce, contra you know, no. contraception, abortion, all that? Uh, or do they just perhaps go to Mass on um, Christmas Day or whatever, you know? So from that point of view, I think actually the 69% would flatter traditional Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. I, I would tend to agree with that, yeah. um, that you would wonder, as I say, by default, and, and many of us, you know, and even around the time of various church scandals, where people were looking to kind of opt out of the mm -hmm. church and oh. all of that sort of thing, um, actually a very tricky thing to do also, so, you know, maybe people still retain it, but they don't practice it. Um, That's so it. They're, it, it. They're still in period, but they don't subscribe mm -hmm. to a huge amount of the teaching. We may, we may have to wait for another census yeah, really to get a proper, a proper comparison on that. We'll have yeah. to wait a few years for that one. We will leave that there, but there's lot, lots more after the break um, from our panel. So do stay with us. Welcome back, Jen Hogan. Michael O'Regan and Ger Herbert are still with me. Um, I want to get on to the other story of the week that's hitting people directly in the pockets, Ger, and that's around um, the cost of petrol and diesel, excise duty being slapped back on, but in a staggered way. Mm -hmm. But we will still feel the full brunt of that by this autumn, won't we? Yeah, so the next um, instalment will be the 1st of September and then by the 31st of October we'll see the full uh, restoration of the cut. And at that point it'll, pro it'll put uh, about €10 Euros on the average fill of... Um of petrol. So, you know, people will notice that we're kind of okay at the moment because prices have been quite stable for the last, you know, year, year and a half. I suppose the real worry is if the prices were to rise during the summer, then we really would notice those increases. Mm -hmm. So, but it's it's not good news. And I mean, motorists, I'm sure, I know they're at the bottom of the pile when it comes to looking after them or whatever, or giving them a break. But the fact is they're renters, they're mortgage payers, they're people who are dealing with the cost of living like everybody else. And, you know, when energy prices go up and fuel prices go up, that's a driver of inflation. And with rising inflation in impacts everyone. So this is not just an issue for motorists. Yeah, and it's um, generally we do see that uh, raise in excise at every, at every budget. It's, it's easy money and it's a great earner um, for the state in terms of revenue. Uh, and they did pull it all back, of course, because of the cost of living crisis in the last budget, Michael. Are they likely to maybe stall on it um, this time, given the fact that, you know, people are really still feeling uh, the pain out there um, with inflation, the cost of living, and the cost of affording life right now in Ireland. Yeah, I think there'd be huge pressure on the government on the budget uh, to stall on it. Uh, and uh, because it is a huge cost of living factor for commuters, uh, for people, for instance, living in rural Ireland who don't have the option of public transport. It's, it's a big additional expense. Uh, so there'd be huge pressure on the budget uh, to do something about it. Yeah, and of course, uh, we'll all notice it now, really, going back on. Um, yeah. 
and they might have liked to, to let it slip under the radar in previous yeah. budget you, years, but we all you, notice when it. When you give some people relief, they don't want to, they don't want the punitive, uh, you know, measure in, reintroduced. I want to talk about um, another big story, health news this week around the issue of vaping. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. many campaigners would say this move was very long overdue, Jen, and that's the, to ban the sale of vapes and e-cigarettes to under-18s. Absolutely. I mean, it's great news that this is happening because I was actually speaking to parents just a little while ago. I was writing a piece for the Irish Times about drinking and teenagers. And when I actually spoke to parents about it, vaping kept coming up as their bigger concern. They were more concerned about that than, than alcohol because they've noticed, you know, that it is, it's very much something their teens were aware of, that perhaps they were suspicious that their teens were, were vaping or that their friends were vaping or it was going on in their circle. So it's absolutely brilliant to see that, that this, I suppose, at least it'll be more transparent, at least be more obvious. It's not... It's not going to be legal for, for it to be sold to under 18s. And, you know, when you look at the look at the consequences and the potential for people to move from vaping into smoking, you know, yeah. and, and we know we already have such a high smoking rate, it's only a good thing. You'd wonder, though, like, you know, can kids still buy vapes online, e-cigarettes online? They're not doing as yet anything about the vast array of flavours out there, the brightly coloured vapes and all of those things that people would say really attract children to the habit. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary that they're only now going, oh God, we really mm. shouldn't be selling these to the under 18 year olds when it's already an issue. I mean, I have two teenagers and I know from talking to them, it's rife and there's kids selling them in schools and there's all sorts of things and anybody can get their hands on them. They're easy to buy, they're cheap to buy. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue and how long will it take? You know, and there'll still be the issue that kids will still get them because they've got a taste for them now. They've left it too long almost to bring this in in the sense that, you know, you can hope that they'll roll back in it. But how effective will it be, really? Because it really has got mm -hmm. a hold of our teenagers. Yeah. And, you know, at this stage, it's a bit late to be doing this. OK, let's talk about a story that's just, um, well, it's, it's a scandal that's rolled on um, for a couple of weeks now. But what we are hearing tonight around Philip Schofield is that he has bared all uh, to The Sun. He's done an interview uh, in The Sun exclusively revealing, I'm broken and ashamed, but I'm not a groomer. Uh, a bombshell first interview. You know, what do you make of all of this, Michael? Really, you would wonder, um, well, who's advising him to go out and do these interviews, to make these statements on social media about people bearing grudges out to get him uh, with all of this? And now this latest interview tonight where, you know, he's sitting down with a reporter from The Sun, visibly shaking, um, talking about all those accusations against him and, and strongly defending his own behaviour. Uh, it's ill-advised. Um, you know, the wounded vanities of great television stars, present company accepted there, uh, 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 can be quite tedious to, uh, to observe. Uh, uh, you know, inflated salaries, inflated egos. I think uh, there is very little sympathy for him on any level. Mm -hmm. Mind you, I do think, though, that um, Eamon Holmes has overdone it. A uh, uh, bit of vanity there as well. It's interesting, the response from John Cleese this evening. John Cleese being the famous comedian, Fawlty Tower star, Everyone wants to wade in. What does yeah, he, he have does. to say He's, about the matter? And he says, and I'll quote it, he said this on Twitter, the unrelentingly nasty coverage of the Schofield story is matched only by its half-witted triviality. No, <laughs> I'm well, sure... not so trivial that he didn't wish to comment on well, it. Precisely. That, that much can if be said. If it's that trivial, why comment on it? Yeah. But I, I think that uh, it's... it's, uh, it's it, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, ITN private yeah. investigation yields. There, there is yeah. bigger questions here for, for ITV yeah. and their handling of, of all yeah. of this. 
um, and this so-called toxic culture that, that was within, within the programme, that it's actually gone to a political level and they're being, they're being called uh, before MPs to answer questions on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I suppose every, all eyes are going to be on as well on Monday too to, to see, well, Holly is due back on, on set and it'll be interesting to see if she, if she turns up. But yeah, the fact that there's going to be political question or, uh, questions to be answered at a political level about it just shows it's maybe not quite as trivial as uh, mm, Mr Cleese would have you believe. Um, it is... It, I suppose we're all watching, all aghast, all like 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 Michael said, very little sympathy, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what to make. I suppose because we don't know all the details yet. We do know your man was very young, and I mean, I have, uh, you know, I have older young people and when you're looking going, well, what would he possibly have in common with yeah. him? And, and the it, allegations around the abuse of power within yeah, all that. Yeah, I mean, there's, someone there, of there's so much about it and it doesn't look good, I suppose, the idea of there's responsibilities within the within the network to look after the staff. We don't have much time yet, but very briefly, Al Pacino becoming a father at 83, Jar. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, with a much younger partner at the age of 29. Yeah, I mean, um, look. Who's willing to have a baby with him. Yeah, look, everyone's their own. But honestly, like, how much of, his, of this child's life is he going to be in? Is he going to be, you know, a, a dad who's a, a full-time, you know, yeah. hands-on dad? It's really hard to Maybe say. Maybe some big ethical questions there that we just don't have time to get to uh, tonight. But thanks to all my panel. We do appreciate it. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But for all the late team here, good night. Take care.